Pixel Sift. It's been around for almost 100 episodes and it's been proudly supported by who, Mitch? Murdoch University. Well, yes, Murdoch well, University as well. Uh, Murdoch University is a phenomenal place if you're interested to learn about broadcasting, podcasting, making videos, all that great stuff. And they've been helping us, especially the School of Arts, to make this show for 100 episodes almost. We're at episode 98 this week. If you're interested in finding a bit more about uh, Murdoch University, you can go to the Murdoch University website. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts and see all the cool stuff that they've got on offer there. You can kind of mix and match. Like yeah. Mitch has done. Yeah, like I've done. Yeah, also or how I have done. Also, just how we mix and match this promo. How we mix well. and match that promo. So head there if you want to find out more about uh, getting into the game space, developing a game, or by uh, making a podcast, or learning how to be a, a journalist, or any of that cool stuff. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we're a show that's dedicated to the indie game development scene and the broader topics that are making the news in the world of games from Australia and the world. Um, and uh, my name is Gianni. Uh, I've got my co-host Mitch here in studio with me. Hey, Gianni. And we've got Sarah on the line who's joining us uh, via the telephone network uh, that has been lovingly put together by our Prime Minister. Are we are we stopping the NBN from working by doing this? Look, we're not playing a game, mate. That's, oh, okay. that's what's causing the problem. So. Whoops. We're, we're here to tackle the hard truth, so maybe next next week on Pixel Sift we'll be discussing the, yeah, uh, the gamers in the NBN. But until then... Until then, uh, I guess this week is uh, Matt Kelly. He's from Mokomoto, and he's here to talk about a game that we uh, had a heap of fun playing uh, a couple of, oh, it's almost a month or two ago. But yeah. yeah, it was really good fun uh, called Mole Men Must Die. Thanks for joining us, Matt. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. No problem today. Uh, thanks so much for uh, playing as well. I, uh, we had a great time watching your stream. Yeah, thanks for making it. It was really fun. Very I fun. really liked it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're going to oh, be talking fantastic. about uh, everything that Matt's done uh, with uh, Mole Men Must Die, uh, but we're going to be checking out some other topics as well today, aren't we, Sarah? What else are we checking out? Oh, we are definitely talking about a very interesting topic. We're going to look at Valve's recent move to ban or their um, the way that they are threatened uh, content creators that have put their games on Steam that had sexual content in them and their move to kind of remove that from their service or initially asked content creators to remove that. And a lot of confusion you know, was sparked from that. And they recently released a statement uh, today, earlier today, about, you know, what they've been doing over the last couple of years and why they've been doing it and what they want the future of Steam to be. So we'll be discussing all that and more very soon. Hashtag breaking news. Let's jump in, shall we? Hey there. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. And that was an so, a, that was an award-winning promo. That was an award-winning <laughs> promo. That was beautiful. <laughs> High praise there. Legendary stuff. <laughs> Go on, Sarah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry guys. So last month, 
Valve began to crack down on games that it deemed to be inappropriate for its Steam marketplace, especially con uh, games that had sexual content. A lot of games creators, especially uh, I think everyone knows the game Honey Pop and the devs, they posted a Twitter statement saying that they'd been contacted by Valve and were asked to remove the sexually explicit content from their game, otherwise it was going to be forcibly removed. And other devs came out with, hey, we got the same email, the same thing happened. Now, this caused a lot of confusion among the development community. People weren't sure as to what content would be deemed acceptable and what wouldn't be. However, Valve has uh, now responded. They released a public statement discussing the changes to the Steam marketplace, the future of games on Steam, what, what they ideally want their platform to be, and their reasoning for these changes and what they've been slowly implementing over the last few years. Now, it's interesting, um, in a Polygon article that was written uh, sort of early last month, um, early this month, sorry, uh, the developer, Honey Dev, for the studio, said that, uh, I don't know if it was a matter of pride or what, but I've generally tried to avoid the term, uh, the, avoid the sort of porn game sites because I never saw Honey Pop as a porn game. To me, it's a really, it's a real game that just has happens to have some nice melons in it. So that's a quote from the developer <laughs> there. Um, there are, are over 700 games on Steam which have the sort of nudity user-defined tag, so anyone can tag anything, um, and nudity is one of the tags you can put on there, and with the bulk of them being that sort of anime-based visual novels that's uh, making it the 19th most applied tag across the store. So... Mm. It's obviously a big component. Now, Matt, you are a developer originally uh, from Melbourne, but you're now in Japan and this sort of anime-style game uh, or this visual novel-style game is a genre that is, is quite big in Japan. Uh, what do you think about this mm. sort of thing? Is this a, a, a misunderstanding of the genre or has Steam come down too harshly on this? Or wh what do you feel about this? It's so it's so interesting seeing this stuff uh, uh, become like a, a big deal in the West. I... Um, uh, so one of my one of my hobbies here is actually going to uh, uh, the secondhand trade uh, market culture is a really big thing in Japan. Uh, there's lots of uh, large stores that you know deal in games from 20, 30 years ago, and a very you see all these games on like Dreamcast and the original PlayStation, even going back to the Super Nintendo, that are exactly what Honey Pop are, but you know using. Uh, like Mahjong, for example. So, you know, you'll play a game of Mahjong, and if you do well, uh, then your anime character uh, gets a little more naked. Um, it's certainly not like a, like a new thing uh, in the world, but it's, um, you know, its proliferation uh, has been just so uh, rapid in the West um, the past couple of years. Um, and, I mean, a lot of that, a lot of the ongoing debate around uh, around you know what Valve should be putting on the store, what they shouldn't be putting on the store, you know, and the way that they've handled it, um, you know, I really see as them basically just trying to protect their business interests for uh, as long as possible. Um, uh, something that I don't know if everyone really knows is like steam wasn't even a thing in japan until you know a few years ago uh and it's right around that time uh, all these uh, all these games started cropping up so you know like they uh you know it is undoubtedly connected to um uh trying to uh to capture a new market that they didn't previously have 
What I think is really interesting about this is that, as you said, there the, these secondhand markets, these games have existed for a long time. But I think it's the mm. the ease of something like Steam, which has made games available from a variety of different places, super easy to get. Um, mm, and it, absolutely, it feels like it is a bit of a reaction. I mean, the, another in in the last week or so, there was obviously this other game that came out, which was made by a developer called Active Shooter, which was kind of yes. A, very controversial, and uh, it was designed to be sort of a school shooting simulator. I mean, that sort of thing mm. happened. Well, it, it was made with the purpose of them pushing the fact that you could play as a school shooter. It was like a cops versus school shooter instead of robbers style game. I watched a review on it, but mm. like it was very clear that the only reason why the the SWAT cops side of the game existed was so that you could play as a school shooter. Like that was very clearly they were using the whole oh well it's one side versus the other as an excuse to basically allow a game where you could pretend to be a school shooter. And a lot of people wanted the game for the for the base. I mean, you know, I watched I think it was a Jim Sterling video on it, and he was talking about how all these people were saying, oh, we need this game because it's going to upset the SJWs. We need this because it's going to prove a point. And it's kind of like this this game is garbage. Like, not in its content, um, being a school shooter game, but mainly in it's a terrible game. It's a terrible video game. And, I, I had a quick you know, look at screenshots from that, and mm-hmm. I laughed because I have the exact same assets uh, on my exactly. computer at home that they use in that game. Yeah, it's just like so many people just kind of have been throwing these, you know, Unity Store asset style games um onto steam i mean I, I follow a lot of youtubers that play you know indie games and stuff and you know it's been a, a trend over the last few years i've noticed as well that you know they'll buy a game on steam they'll refund it and then they'll use that money to buy a new one because they're playing under two hours because these games are tiny and terrible and they're usually a couple of dollars each and they'll often say oh yeah i've seen this map pack before and i find it interesting how that became almost like a little a trend in itself on steam over the years of there being like this flood of terrible very cheap games that people had mm. just kind of thrown together. Like, I'd be curious to see what your opinion of that is as a developer as well, you know, like, you know, making your content, like kind of how you feel about that. And, you know, do you think that Valve's sudden pushback against that is going to be a good thing for indie games especially? Or is it a potential concern that, you know, we might lose out on content because they're getting more strict? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, like, asset, I mean, asset flip games are weirdly not actually a very new thing. Um, mm. Uh, so, just as a quick example, uh, Grand Theft Auto V, for example, um, big, beautiful, sprawling world. Um, about ninety percent of the textures in that game are not actually made by Rockstar. Uh, mm. They're bought from another company who goes around doing beautiful photography. Um, and if you go look, those uh, textures will end up in other games. So, like the idea right. of yeah. reusing assets from game to game, you know, inside one company or a third party. Uh, selling them is not anything new in itself. Um, where sort of the kind of the difficulty comes from with it is pre- every every junior game developer, every game dev uh, will tell you at some point, uh, I've had to go get assets because mm. I didn't have an art team at the time. I didn't have uh, someone who could do normal mapping. I didn't have someone who could... Uh, animate this um you know it's not all that uncommon and the thing is we're like as game developers like when we're doing our job well like players don't realize it's a cohesive thing like uh like um uh pub uh is um i'm not 100 percent sure how much of that is bought versus how much of that is made but pub uh 
has some components and they've managed to build it into this incredibly cohesive thing. And therefore, it works. Where it sort of begins to break down a little bit is when you have all these different elements coming together that don't, uh, you know, that don't quite uh, work in harmony. And I think that's where the visibility of asset flip games really came from. What I think is really interesting about this is is not even that, you know, these asset flip games exist and whether or not they should exist in the Steam marketplace, mm. but whether or not, you know, Valve should be taking a more active uh, role in that, uh, I guess, moderation or curation. And I think when the green light process was in place, people felt like there was some sort of, you had to kind of build a groundswell around your product. It was part of the marketing scheme. And then there was an mm. idea that people could actually have a bit of an idea about what was happening. And that if you if Valve wasn't going to do it themselves, then you could use the crowd to do it. But now mm. there seems to be this sort of inconsistency between the way that well, they're kind of policing these rules. Well, it's funny you should say that because um, Valve's statement that they released today in a blog post actually is saying that they're probably going to take a step back from all of it actually they um in one of the uh, one of the quotes i pulled earlier was games we allow onto the store will no longer will not will not be a reflection of valve's values beyond a simple belief that you all have the right to create and consume the content you choose so that seems like an extreme cop out to me it's just saying oh okay um you didn't like the way we handled it we're not going to handle it anymore. Um, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Wild West. Yeah, we're they made it very anything. clear. Yeah. Yeah. They made it very clear that they don't want that, like, you know, that at the end of the day, people are going to make content that party A, party B makes content and party A is going to hate that. Then party A is going to make content that party B hates. And Val's made it very clear that they want, you know, people to be able to accept that that's going to be a thing that will ever, ever exist. And at the end of the day, no matter what they do, including their um, uh, employees, they're going to make people angry with what they allow on the Steam store. And that goes both sides of any argument and with content and stuff. But it's, it's clear that they've realised that, like, they need to take a different approach to the way that they curate games and what they allow on the store and everything. And, you know, they're a large company, and I think it was very wise of them to put out a statement basically opening up this their situation mm. with their curation to the world. But this, on the flip side, it means that they're inviting us, I feel, as, as consumers, as, you know, um, buyers, as journalists, as reviewers, you know, they're inviting us to kind of very closely look at what they do and to kind of almost potentially even police them. I think, you know, you know if what? they don't, if they don't stick to their word, if they, if, you know, if they start doing shady stuff with mm. relation to what they allow and what they don't allow, they've actively told us, this is what we're going to do. And this is our stance. And we can go, well, is that really your stance in going into the future? I found, you know, the big, the big sweep on, um, uh, sexually explicit content, especially was particularly interesting because as far as I'm aware, and I tried to do some research, but I couldn't find anything concise. Honeypop um, had a, the Honeypop version on Steam is censored. There is no actual sexually explicit content in there apart from maybe just some mm. text lines. Um, you can access that content. Um, story for another day. How I know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. About, yeah, don't worry about. Yourself. Don't worry. Don't worry about how I know this information. But um, you can access that content. But there are like mods that unblock that on the Steam versions. Yeah. It's in the game files. It's just not actually technically accessible if you just not normally download the game and play it. On other websites, they have posted it fully uncut and everything. But like, there wasn't. I mean, it's in the game files, but it's technically not accessible unless you. Mm basically you know circumvent that what so are, i find it interesting that you know I mean, and it is actually a game like it's a good game it runs well it plays well i've played a bit of it it's just like a i don't know it's just like candy crush i've, I've played candy a bit crush. of it i've but unlocked it the secret features <laughs> <laughs> a friend a friend unlocked the secret features i just unlocked the ending for them because they were so bad at the game they couldn't do it themselves uh. but like you know it's it's a game and it works is the thing 
which which is interesting. And if you compare it to some of these like two dollar titles that people mm. kind of throw onto the market, it's like they're buggy, they're terrible. There's been no testing. It's kind of like you know, I find that kind of interesting that you know Steam their first big major public crackdown was on that kind of content. Where it's like, well, these are actually like, I mean, maybe they're not everyone's cup of tea, but like, if it's not got it's, it's like, and Honey Pop itself didn't really have explicit stuff in it technically. Yeah. Kind of yes, but kind of no. And it's like, well, there's all this like this, this steaming pile of garbage over here mm. in the in the under a dollar section, and you're kind of just like ignoring that. Like, I find that interesting. What I would say, yeah, they they were functional games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they more functional than some of these one dollar ones that people mm. have just kind of thrown up that they made in a, you know in a short period of time potentially. You know. What I would say yeah. is from the, I guess, Steam statement that they put on their blog is they said, the harsh reality of this space is that lies at the root of our dilemma is there's absolutely no way we can navigate it without making some of our players really mad. And in addition, exactly. there are controversial topics that are particular to games, like what even constitutes a game or what level of quality is appropriate before something can be released. Now, it says Valve is not a small company. We're not a homogenous group. And the online debates around these topics play out inside of Valve as well. We don't all agree on everything deserves to be on there. So- and they said, more recently, we worked on Steam Direct to open up the store to many more developers. What I would say is that quite often by uh, sort of stepping back and uh, not taking a position, that is a position. Um, Absolutely. We see it quite often with a lot of these uh, political debates, but there is a position that you take by by standing back and not taking a position. You are sort of su- supporting the standard or, I guess, even the um, the status quo of these certain cir- circumstances. So I just want to read some some tweets that we've seen come through on this. So uh, Damon uh, Demonrisu on uh, Twitter says, I've lost all hope that Steam will ever improve as a platform um, and my expectations were already so low. And uh, Bruno Diaz says, uh, yeah, Steam has gotten to a point where at least with a relatively small passion project, I feel okay about losing sales by not being on Steam. It's just awful for the industry and it's a real moral disaster. What I think is really interesting is that when Steam first came out, it really did kind of shift that paradigm and we didn't see anything like this. A lot of the places, mm. it was still within the CD key and install off the CD sort of era when it first came around. And there was a lot of opposition mm. to how that kind of came out. We're not in that same space anymore. There are alternatives no. out there and we can get other bits and pieces. Um, one thing uh, I just want to kind of, we'll leave this topic here, but one thing I wanted to leave us on was one tweet that Jake uh, Bowkett said. He goes, the excerpt from Valve's statement uh, actually reads like a parody lol, like someone at The Onion could have written this. Let me be crystal clear. We've decided to allow absolutely everything except the things we do not allow. So yeah, <laughs> it'll be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. You know, there are other platforms out there. So let's uh, jump into our next topic, shall we? Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Podcast I don't think our well. relationship is going to survive another playing of that promo. Podcast listeners who are <laughs> listening in their headphones at home won't be able to tell this, but if you're watching on Twitch or you're watching on YouTube, you can see now I have, at your request, Mitch, grown my beard back. So I hope that I've, you know, pleased you in some way. So No, it's over. Yeah, and everyone should uh, jump on the Discord and uh, join Mitch in Friday Night Fortnite. So oh great time. Oh, my God. There it's we a- go. Now, we are joined, uh, <laughs> if you're just joining us, uh, by Matt Kelly. He is from Mokomoto Games. Uh, Matt, you have made a game uh, that is, uh, well, maybe you should describe. What exactly is uh, the game Mole Man Must Die? 
Oh, gosh. It's such a complicated answer these days. Uh, okay, so Mormon Must Die is about a uh, president who's had a bit of a temper tantrum against the uh, people of the underworld, the Mormon. Uh, they have insulted him, and his uh, totally proportionate response has been to deliver a nuclear bomb to the center of the Earth, destroying everyone. And he's asked you to uh, take charge of that and make it happen. Uh, at the end of the, every game, though, we find out that, uh, of course, this plan backfires a little bit and it ends up destroying a good part of the uh, the surface as well. I think I read that story earlier in the week in the New York Times, didn't I? What's to be? Uh... <laughs> yeah, is, well, is it's been... art imitating reality. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's been such a such an interesting little journey just on um, uh, kind of you know, how perception of something changes with the times. Uh, like, so when we first started doing this game, uh, uh, you know, Trump was kind of this this outlying fringe candidate spewing whatever in the news. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a ha-ha-ha, Trump, ha-ha-ha. And that was kind of the end of it. Um, so, you know, we we sort of wrote our, our little bit of uh, political punch and... Uh, then, as we were closing in on release, he won the damn thing, and we had to release the game anyway. And suddenly, the game has a very, very different uh, tone to it. Um, you know, we've had reactions from everything from, uh, you know, oh, wow, this is really funny, good satire, to wow, this is the most depressing thing I've played. And, you know, like that kind of having all those shades is just... Uh, amazing to me like it's not something i ever would have imagined you're in the zeitgeist you uh you picked the yeah. perfect time uh we have a question from uh moody zander who asked on sure. twitch uh what was kind of the inspiration behind the game did it kind of just start out as a bit of a joke or how did it all come about ah uh, so i mean the original version of the game wasn't uh it had nothing to do with anything like it was um I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you've seen games like in like early early development, but it was a bunch of cubes moving around the screen. Um, and as things went on, I sort of started looking at you know what our goals were in the game, what we were doing, and kind of a lot of the stuff that was being talked about in the media at the time. Um, and particularly, uh, you know, very kind of reactionary politics, and uh, you know, pushing pushing something on to other countries. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something, there's some connections beginning to build here. Uh, so I sort of sat down for a couple of days and, um, uh, you know, so I was like, okay, does this kind of actually work? And yeah, like it was, uh, I ended up pitching it to a few people and sort of they're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I get that. I'm with it. And, you know, like the whole thing is, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, like playing back to, you um, uh, that kind of 90s nostalgia when everything sort of begun to get a little bit more vivid. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't, uh, you know, we haven't seen tons of that over the years. But it's been like, okay, cool, let's play with this idea of, you know, what we were calling like a new retro for a little bit. So I was that was that VCR mode difficult to implement? Because it was, uh, I think we were playing it with it on. I think by mm. default, um, oh, it mm. was it was on when we did a let's play in it, and we thought it was we thought it was very novel. We liked it a lot, but um, mm. was it difficult to put that kind of filter on the game? It was difficult to get it to a point where it felt right. Um, like so, when we first, so we uh, were actually part of Greenlight uh, when that was still a thing. 
Uh, and we put out our first trailer um, and we got this incredibly vivid reaction from two groups of people. One group was like, oh, this is beautiful. I love how blurry and messy everything is. And then the other group was, did you take your screenshots from your YouTube video? You shouldn't do that. It's too blurry. Um, and we knew we had overdone it a little bit at that point. Like when people are, when people see it and assume it's some kind of mistake, ah, okay, we've gone too far. So we kept dialing it around for a little bit, um, particularly uh, uh, how much the screen um, uh, gets blurred out was kind of the big thing we had to play with. Um, well, we kept dialing up uh, how often the screen gets interrupted. So like, uh, like you've got your, your scan lines that roll across the screen. Uh, when a bomb drops, the entire screen has a bit of a meltdown, basically. Uh, you know, we kept sort of pushing that up, up, up. And uh, on the other hand, sort of pulling the, uh, you know, making everything a little bit more crisp. Um, so we kind of ended up with something that kind of, uh, has echoes of that feeling, but if you put it next to like your old CRT TV, uh, it would still be much, much better quality. Now, one of the things that was really interesting, and I guess actually the thing that kind of caught my attention when we were first playing, uh, first came across the game, was that you actually moved onto this platform, uh, talking of alternative platforms, uh, one called mm. Jump, which was basically sort of pitching itself as a bit like the Netflix of uh, of mm. games and that you can kind of even have a subscription and, and stream those games directly. You don't need to have heaps of space on your on your computer to play them. How did that mm. kind of come about and, and, and why did you want to jump onto that platform? Pardon the pun. Yes. So that was a <laughs> that was a total fluke. Um, so uh, my work, uh, the work that I've been uh, doing in game over the years has been all sorts of things. I actually used to be a community manager at uh, EA, uh, probably about four years ago or so. Uh, and uh, of course, part of that meant uh, you know networking with other community managers. And there's a real sort of tight community there. So when I uh, when we were releasing the game, I thought, hey, look, uh, this group has done so well by me. Here's a bunch of keys. Uh, little did I know that uh, Cade from Jump, who was also a former community manager, uh, was on that group and grabbed the key and had a play of the game. And he was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, so we got to chatting just very, very casually for uh, probably yeah, a couple of months or something. And uh, Eventually, he was like, okay, cool. This is coming together. Let's do it. You know, they gave us a, a contract support. Um, we have like a really great relationship with everyone on that team, whether it's the head of the company, to, uh, their engineers, their branding people. Um, they're all like really lovely and friendly. And, um, you know, for us, um, it's kind of like the Netflix of something, something is a term that gets thrown around a lot. Um, and like, there's two components to what the Netflix is, uh, the Netflix of something. Uh, there's a huge content library, uh, some uh, with some kind of subscription model attached to it, but there's also instant delivery, which is something that kind of gets left out of that, that uh, descriptor sometimes. And so what Jump does is rather than getting you to stream it by video or download a client or something like that. We're actually running the real game engine local on your computer and then grabbing the data from the server as we actually need it. Mm. So rather than just sending you the final result video, 
we're actually sending you texture files and map files and stuff like that, and then just asking your computer to run it. We were talking a little bit um, before the show sort of started, and, and one of the big things uh, that has kind of happened for you is you've moved from your uh, place in Melbourne, uh, which has a quite mm. a robust uh, development scene, and now you're into Japan. Mm. And talking a bit about yeah. how the the environment of Japan is quite different. Can you tell us a little bit about what that move's kind of been like and, and how that kind of compares to the, the Australian game scene? Uh, I mean, the move, the move has been, like, hands down amazing. Like, uh, you know... I, I hate to say it, but I, uh, you know, I don't regret my choice, so to speak. Um, uh, I mean, sort of the big thing that you realize immediately is uh, scale, like just the scale of things that we talk about, like is just completely different. Um, and also sort of like the, you know, kind of the awareness and access to things is totally different here. Um so, for example, uh, you know, if I was at a party in Australia and I said, oh, I do games programming, people are, you'll get like one of two reactions. One is like, oh, cool, I play PlayStation. Or, mm, I don't really play games. End of conversation. Um, but like gaming is like just so uh, interlaced into the culture here that um, you can talk like a quite, quite deeply about the topic with just almost anyone. Uh, you know, be it little old ladies or, uh, you know, young kids or, you know, people who are struggling to, you know, balance family and work. And everyone has something to say about it. It's great. Um, and I mean, as well, it's sort of like you realize the the difference in size of the industry and that, you know, you just crash into people that uh, have worked on things that you love. Uh uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there's a very uh, popular anime that I love, um, uh, and we happened to crash into uh, uh, their supporting uh, their support people uh, at uh, at a train station of all places, and we, they were just like, "Hey, what up?" Wow. And we had this amazing conversation. Like, you know, you do just kind of have access to this stuff that you you know you wouldn't otherwise. Now, Matt, mm. what are you working on at the moment and um, what sort of things can people look forward to coming out from Mokomoto? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, like there's been, like moving to Japan has been pretty, like a pretty, um, I, I suppose it's been pretty smooth in the grand scheme of things, but changing countries is always turbulent. Um, so along with that, like a lot of ideas have been changing along the way. Um uh, originally, the very last thing I was working on in Australia was actually a, uh, a city builder. We were actually teaming up with uh, uh, some lovely people who worked on a game called uh, Dimension Jump. Uh, and we were working on this uh, sort of um, uh, defense city builder where you'd play like a SimCity style game, but a monster would come and invade and you had to defend it. Um, but it's really weird. Like when you change countries, like just. Um, the kind of culture that you're being exposed to all the time uh, can really radically change your idea. Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, sort of I'm trying to look at all this kind of like niche culture that I find very interesting. A uh, uh, quick example, uh, trains in Japan. Trains are a huge thing here. Like whether it's uh, people being really into trains, like uh, wanting to collect models and stuff like that, or uh pride of people who work on trains like if you see a japanese train driver he has the most uh he or she has the like the most beautiful uniform 
that you'll ever see. It looks like they've just walked out of like uh, a Hollywood war film or something like that. Mm. Um, there's this huge amount of pride that kind of goes with this industry. I'm sort of looking at this going like, wow, that's so fascinating. So I'm sort of like just kind of playing around with all these uh, all these little little cultural things that I find at the moment and uh, kind of seeing what comes together. For me, like games has always been about, um, you know, exploring some kind of cultural situation and not necessarily in a like a like a combative way, like, oh, this is how the world should work and this is terrible, but more in a kind of, hey, isn't that interesting? So, yeah, I have a feeling something, whatever comes next, is going to be along those lines. It sounds really interesting. I'm really looking forward to um, to finding out more about that and keeping an eye on the cool stuff that you're working on. Um, sounds like mm. you're finding a lot of inspiration in the stuff all around you. Now, Matt, if people want to find yeah. out more about the stuff that you're doing and maybe play some of your games, where's the best place for them to, to go find some more info? Sure. So you can jump on our Twitter, uh, where we're at, uh, Mokomoto Games. We're also on Facebook, obviously, similar, uh, Mokomoto Games. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I've been pretty quiet recently, but uh, I'm just at Crowded World on Twitter. And uh, lastly, if you want to check out a games, uh, most recent one is Molman Must Die, which you can find on Steam for two ninety nine US, I believe. Bargain. There you go. Uh, Serious bargain for how fun that is. It's an extremely fun game. We had a great time. And if you want to check it out, we obviously have a, a Pixel Sift Plays episode where you can uh, you can watch that and check it out before you give it a go. Thank you very much, uh, Matt, for joining us. And thank you all for, for tuning in tonight. Um, it's uh, It's been another great episode of Pixel Sift. Uh, so this episode was produced by Scott Quigg and Mitch Lowe and Sarah and me. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. Um, as always, we'll be sticking episodes, uh, sticking links up to everything we've been talking about, some of those articles we're talking about with Steam uh, on our website, which is www.pixelsift.com. Dot au. You can support Pixel Sift. You can go to uh, our store to buy some merch if you're keen. It's uh, pixelsift.com forward slash sifters, S-I-F-T-E-R-S, sifters. And dot get- com dot au forward slash store. Or .com.au forward slash store. You can do either, <laughs> but Sifters is the one that we've set up. You get 25% off if you use that uh, URL. Uh, so that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Sifters. Uh, Mitch, we're on social media as well. Where are we found? Yes, yeah, so you can find us on pretty much all your favorite social medias. That includes facebook.com, so just search pixelsiv in that, and then twitter.com forward slash pixelsiv, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsiv, which I noticed many of you are. And if you like what we do, you can hit the follow button at the top to get notifications. And likewise for YouTube, that's youtube.com forward slash, forward slash pixel sieve AU. And Sarah, if people want to check out some of our other stuff, like maybe that pixel sieve plays, uh, where should they head to? Well, they can go to our website to stream episodes. You can subscribe as a podcast, either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page. We're live every Thursday. Next week at this time, join us for, yeah, join us for pixel sieve plays. Check out some of the indie games we feature on the podcast and more. Our next episode is on the 21st of June. And tomorrow night, I believe Gianni is going to be streaming some Friday Night Fortnite. So you should tune in so around, what is it? Is it like between 8 and 9 between seven, first time? Yeah, 7.30 oh, between, uh, yeah, on a, on a so. Friday. So every Friday on a 7.30. Yeah, so you might be listening to this right. as a podcast at any time. <laughs> might not be relevant. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us. We will catch you all again next time. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Thanks.